Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is your host, Sarah Fox. And today, our guest is someone I've actually had the pleasure of working with. And in when we were just getting a little chat before the show, I actually asked Josh how long it's been. And it's been three years that since we first connected. And then we worked together on a, a similar project to the kinds of things I've asked him to talk about today. And so let me give you a little bit of background on him. His name is Josh Robs. Josh is the owner of Rust Belt Webworks. And it, that is an internet marketing solution for nonprofit um, company. When I first met Josh, he was doing more broad work with that, but same types of tactical, really clear th- about why they're doing what they're doing on their websites, the impact of that, how to be focused to, to meet your mission. And that was one of the things, if any of you have ever sat down in a group and said, we need to update our website or we need to build one from scratch and you start scratching your head and you think, what, why, what are we doing? And honestly, before we even started, I think we'd kick that can down the road for a while because we looked at the enormity of the job and thought, what page do we start on? What's our purpose? And Josh had a great way of giving us frameworks to think about what mattered, who we were trying to talk to, our clients, but really simple ways that not only helped us build out the web page, but it helped us have conversations on our team that we hadn't been able to have in such a clear way. And honestly, Josh, I used some of your questions with clients I have who, you know, not even on a web design. Um, one of the things I learned early on about Josh was that he actually has been um, active duty infantry. I guess that would be active duty, a little redundant. But he's just a very clear thinker. He thinks with the end in mind, which um, from good management practices is where to start your thinking. So Josh, with that as a little um, introduction, can you talk about how you came to do the work you're doing and how you, how you redesigned um, Rust Belt Webworks? Certainly. Uh, I started a, a billion years ago back when websites were built in Notepad and it was all computer science. These days, with the tools at hand, uh, it's so much easier, and and that's let me continue to do some of that stuff while switching my focus to what I really like, which is the marketing side and the messaging side of the business. Back in 1997, my uncle sent me a programming book that had a CD in it, and on the CD was a website, basically, that was the book. You know, this was before Kindle. This was before any eBooks. And I was like, wow, this, this is brilliant. This is amazing. And yeah, remember, yes, it's 22 years ago, but that was the stone age for the World Wide Web. Uh, since then, you know, I, I built sites recreationally for myself, for some side projects, and it grew. Uh, and then when I got out of the military, I switched doing that full time. And it quickly became obvious that having a website is not something anyone needs. No one needs a website. Having a website does nothing for anyone unless you have a box, unless you have a box that you have to check that says, I have a website. You need the right website that does the right things and gets the right results. And so that made me really shift to the strategy and to the branding because that's what the clients, my clients needed before they could even really start a conversation about what is this website that I need. 
So if people don't need websites, why do we all have them? Is it just an expectation or have we evolved? Are they being used in the way that they could be from your experience? Uh, both. Yes to the first question. And let me expand upon the, the next part. Yes, if you don't have a website these days, are, are you a business? If, if I look you up on Google and I can't find you, there's a level of, of trust that I've lost because it, it is just the, the, the price of doing business these days. So like uh, having an address. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a phone, like, like what kind of business doesn't have a phone, like, like what kind of business doesn't have a phone number? It's just, it's, it's part of the course these days. Now, the other part of it, could you be doing more with it? Uh, assuming, you know, you have a big enough check or, or enough time to invest in, into doing things with your website, there's a lot of things that can be done with the website. And most people are uh, stopping with just a basic me-centered, you know, they're making a website for the business that's all about the business. It's basically just a brochure of, of the business. And there's, there's, that's not marketing. And there's, there's a ton of other stuff that could be done besides just pu- putting up yet another billboard. So and that's the focus of your work is to do more with the website than just have it be yes. an electronic brochure. Basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things I wanted to share with our audience is that what your website says, what you say about having mission-focused strategy, better than ethical tactics, easy-to-use tools. What does that mean? Ethical is easy. All you, to be ethical, all you have to do is to not be unethical. Congratulations, you're a good citizen because you haven't killed someone today. With marketing, you can make the marketing itself beneficial. You can make the marketing help people. So, so that's why I use the phrase better than ethical. Yes, if you don't lie in your marketing, that's ethical marketing. But is it actually beneficial? And in a lot of different fields, there's a lot of different ways you can approach marketing that include truly being helpful. And uh, the if, if you've heard of content marketing, that is a, a great way to do it. A mission-focused strategy is something for me that's always important, especially when I'm working with nonprofits or even young startup businesses. What does that mean to you and how do you help your target clients, so which are right now you're focusing on nonprofits, how do you help them think in a digital strategy that is mission focused. I'm kind of double dipping on that meaning. Uh, you know, one serving NPOs, they're, they're mission focused. So <clears throat> I'm trying to emphasize that I'm keeping that in mind when, when I'm helping them create a plan in, in a strategy. The other part of that is to be the, you know, the end in mind mentality where, yeah, there's a lot of you and, and that's the hardest part about coming up with a good strategy. It's not what you include, it's what you exclude. And by starting with a defined mission, whether it's big picture, what's the mission for the marketing this year, or more specific, what is the mission for this website, or even really, you know, you can get really into the weeds, what is the mission of this individual web page? With the end in mind, it really streamlines everything. It puts everyone on the same page instead of everyone throwing out random great ideas. uh, You know, it it gives you some criteria. So you talked about 
one of the things I asked you to think about was how to help us understand the, the ability of our digital presence, our web presence, and our digital marketing <coughs> presence to be help us be less stressed as leaders and, um, or directors or whomever is in charge of moving that mission forward. Can you talk about that and how you incorporate that and what you have found prevents, I guess, is what I'm asking is what stops that from happening now? That is a huge topic to, to unpack. I, I've been taking, we, we, you know, we started talking about this in December and we're in, the, you know, towards the end of June now. And I've put hours every week into this, in, into to condensing this into our, our short conversation. And it's a huge topic. I've had to, to really back out of the topic and look, look at the patterns instead of coming up with a, a specific example that might help one or two of your listeners because the details are different. The situation one person's in uh, will dictate a very different solution than for someone else. The patterns I'm seeing is that stress is coming from three places, three places. Stress is primarily from lack of alignment. It's from guilt and it's from friction. Uh, you also mentioned that we wanted to talk about being more efficient and friction is really the big killer in that. And, and once we look at all of it, you'll see that it all ties together. And if you needed something to remember, to remember what we're trying, what I'm trying to get to here today is be a marketing scientist. And I'm sure we'll unpack that and, and get into the, the details. So I know you've been working on this for a long time. So tell me, where is the logical place? Because from our previous work, I know you have a logical thought process you've already come to in this, like, I would start here to help people understand this complex concept. Where would you like to start here? within those three or even thinking about how do we think about being a marketing scientist? So as we listen to what you're saying to us, we can actually get full value. Well, I think we need to back up one step before we start Let's reducing stress. We have to figure out how to identify stress. Okay. Because we often say uh, work stresses me out. Well, work's a huge thing. Work isn't one thing. It isn't a thing. It's a bunch of little things. Uh, I know in your resource list, you mentioned Made to Stick, the book by the Heath brothers. And in it, they talk about schema. Work is a schema. It's a bunch of things combined into one overarching idea. So you need to dig into it and get, get to the specifics. It's not being in the building that's stressing you out. It's not being at that address that's stressing you out. It's Bavram Accounting. He stresses you out. This, this piece of software stresses you out. You need to dig into what exactly is bothering you. We're all familiar with Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, whether deliberately or accidentally, almost mocks a common, powerful literary tactic. Your monsters unknown and make them mysterious. If you want to turn, and, and that's what work is stress. That is a monster. What does Scooby-Doo? He unmasks the monster and gets the, the specifics. And once you unmask the monster, you have a problem you can solve. And in this case, we're talking about stress. You know, how do, how do we reduce that? Uh, what I found is when you properly identify it, you'll have an I statement. Uh, and again, I don't know who knows what, but an I statement it is actually something I'm stealing from psychotherapy, which is a great conflict resolution tool. In uh, 
in my additional notes, I'll have a link to a great video on, on that. Uh, but an I statement is really, in this case, when, when X happens, I feel stressed. I expected something, but, but something else. I mean, it's, it's the Sir Mix-a-Lot version of uh, stress identification because there's always the big but. When I talk to Bob, I feel stressed. I expect it to jump right into work, but he wants to do a bunch of small talk. Or, you know, it could be the reverse, you know, just, and that's just an example of, you know, stress from differing communication styles. Uh, when I look at my marketing report, I feel stressed. After, after starting this new campaign, I expected conversions of page X to go up, but conversions haven't changed. So that but is, is the sign that there's something that's out of alignment, whether it's uh, expectations, communication skills, uh, difference in values, difference. If you have your, your, your plan is aligned to your strengths, you know, alignment is a vague term. Whenever you get that butt, you can see that, that something isn't fitting with something else. So I think that's, that's a primary clue. Yes, that is your big clue. I expected X, but Y. And then, then you can really start to deal to dial into the specifics of, of what, what is the issue. So what, how can we increase our conversions for website or web page X? Well, I think we'll do this. So then you, you, you build it, you set the standards to it, you do it, and then you look at the numbers and you go, okay, well, it helped a little bit or it didn't help. Now let's adjust this and do experiment number two. So it's a learning mindset with that. So to your example, how could I communicate differently with Bob in accounting so I'm not frustrated? Or how could I you know, understand my numbers about my conversions on what we've been trying to do? What needs what could I do differently instead of thinking I'm a terrible person or this is failing? It's more of an inquisitive, ongoing learning mindset. Yes, that is the one thing that's going to keep coming up, not as much in the alignment section, but when we start, if we go back into doubt and when we talk about removing friction, it's all, going, it's all about the process, Great. learning to use the process and iterating your process. The book you need to read, and I recommend this to everyone, is called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. It's, the, it's what happens when you have someone who is studying cognitive science who becomes a world champion poker player and then goes back to cognitive science. And the, the, the big quote that blew my mind, which is not that complicated, but it's life is not chess, life is poker. So you are going to make the right decision and fail over and over again. And you will make the wrong decision and win over and over again. It's, it's kind of a stoic mentality. You know, you are not the sole author of your victories. Neither are you the sole author of your defeats. So you get to build the process. In this case, we're talking about decision-making. And then you have to trust the process. You know, in the, in the book, they give the example, you know, how many times have drunks driven home, ran red lights, swerved all over the road, but made it home safe? That's not supposed to happen. How many times have you have people driven perfectly and then been in horrible auto accidents? Being right doesn't make the outcome right. Not every time. Luck has a luck circumstance plays a huge role. So you might have the, the best marketing plan in the world, but because of who knows what, it just doesn't work this time. And it, it could be that the same plan executed three weeks later, three months later would work beautifully. 
I think that's an important thing to remember, too, because the context in which things happen, Josh, it could be the difference of a week or two because the external environment changes, the other people around change, and those same things, I mean, and what brings us to mind is you'll hear people, and honestly, I'm sure you've worked with them, too, is they're, they're frustrated because they've been working really hard services or they're trying to get their content out so they can do good content marketing and they're not seeing the return. And then they're looking over and they're seeing someone else who apparently is doing identical things and getting different, bigger results, right? But what you don't see there are some of the hidden things that have happened way before that. The years of crickets, right? The behind the scenes where nothing major is happening or that there's a slightly different context that person's in that puts them in a a different light. And that's an easy place for people to get frustrated and basically just want to throw in the towel and say, I'm giving up. And they may be so close to having that first milestone breakthrough. Yeah, it's, uh, was was the saying, don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. You you don't, you know, the the 10-year overnight success happens over and over again where, where they're literally invisible and you're, you weren't watching them until six weeks ago when they broke onto the scene. You have no idea all the work that took to get there. Well, and I don't really, there's this whole myth and this is the thing about the online marketing because everything seems to be visible. And so what you do see is you see all the, what apparently is the easier, the success side of things. But the reality is, is I don't know a single business owner, no matter how successful their business is, who doesn't work at it. You know, even though people say, well, I put in two hours a week, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. before you ever got to that place, you put in hundreds of hours. The, the worst part that I find is often people use ge- general and generic descriptors. Well, you have to work hard. Well, I, 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 I put in so much effort. Until it was hard. I worked hard. I, I checked up like I did it. I did what you told me. Hard is, is not the answer. That is, you know, it doesn't matter how easy it is or how hard it is. It has to be the right thing at the right time. How do you help people do that? Because I think we did that when we hired you. It's like, well, we do all of this. And I remember one of our earlier homework assignments you gave us. We had to really think about who we serve and how we would consider them distinct from one another, their needs distinct, what we, how we would serve them differently from one another. I mean, it was brain work. They were really good questions, Josh. So how do you help us get not, it is a part of things like, I don't want to miss out on all these people. I could help. I know they mm-hmm. help. I could help them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want, I don't want to turn anybody away, but that has downsides. It has huge downsides. Can you talk to us about those downsides? Mm-hmm. And, and, and trust me, I feel the pain. It is so frustrating. There's the fear of missing out. There's the, you know, it, it's, it's an experiment. And depending on where you are in your career, like, you know, what? I can't afford another bad experiment. I, you know, we, we just, you know, if this doesn't work, the doors close. Or what if I go, the, you know, choose option two instead of option one, and that's the home run and I just missed it. At some point, you just have to grin and bear it. There, there's... Uh, no way around it. And the simple, there's, there's a couple analogies. Every time you do something, you're creating energy. You're throwing a spark. You're trying to start a fire 
that is that is your brand that is your exposure it's you being known in the community you want to be known in and if if you you know a picture one of those old school striker bars where you you, know, you, you rub the thing down the black bar and it throws sparks you know trying to start a, a campfire well, if you're at one campfire and you do it, and you run over to another campfire and do it, you run to another campfire and do it, it's never enough to start a fire. You have to create focus. The, I think one of the things that throws people is that they see people only a people only a few steps ahead of them that are no longer specific. They're they're now they're all of a sudden general. And you're like, but that that person's not that far ahead of me. How why is consultant Bob who's He's only six months ahead of me. Why is he broad? Because he started a fire. And then you have things like the halo effect kick in where, because you are respected for knowing, uh, we'll say like content marketing. Let's say you, you think I know a lot about content marketing. You've, you trust my opinion on everything else more because I have trust in one thing. That's the halo effect. So basically you start a fire. And then with that fire, once you start an actual burning fire, you can use that to start other fires. And how do you get there? It is one part picking your best clients. It is one part finding the alignment between that, between them, their problems and your strengths. And it's one part, and it's one part raw luck. You do your best guess, you try it, you try it, and then you adjust if necessary. So I have a, now I'm switching gears. I have a business question for you. It's not a total shift since I asked you about how you chose to niche down. One of the things I think is a bit unique um, about your website is when you look at your services and you talk about kind of what you have there, you have some great workshops that you can do and you are very specific about how long they are and how many results, if I were to be in them, I could expect to get from it. So I'm going to ask you to talk about one in particular, but in general, when I look at that, I've noticed that you have actually put up the investment costs for those things, which not all folks do in their businesses, put their prices online unless they're in retail, right? And you're purchasing a concrete, tangible, or a book or a PDF or something. But I think that's interesting. And what led you to decide to be that transparent Part of it is the way they're packaged. These these would be considered productized services. It is a service. These are you know live facilitated workshops, uh, but they're fixed scope. It's like it's like an oil change. An oil you know you you go in. You know what they're they know what they're going to do. You know what they're going to do. It's the same cost every time. Uh, so for for these items, that's kind of how they are. It's we follow the plan. We, we follow the, the agenda. I know what, you know, the, the output you're going to get. Uh, so there was no reason there, there well, there's no variance. So I could quote it. Uh, it was possible for me to quote it. Uh, so you know, you customized, you're not saying, okay, mm -hmm. XYZ company, this is my workshop and I'll tailor it to you. You're saying this is my workshop. Yes. This is what you're going to get out of it and why that is going to be beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so that, that gave me the opportunity, the option of putting the prices up. Nice. Why? I think it's for self-selection. You're not going to contact me if, if you've got $75 and you want a $3,500 product. It's just you know what you're going to get. Plus, 
it lets you do some planning on your end. I, I, I hate not seeing prices. So a lot of it is just personal. I get tired of saying it depends, but I, I have to, you know, you say, you know, how, how much is, is, does it cost to build a website? Well, how long is a piece of string? Well, how long is a piece of string? How much does a car cost? It, it all depends. Um, so in, in these, in these specific circumstances, I can do, I can give that solid answer. So, well, what's great about this is if someone's not ready, the array of things that you offer and they're at different price points allows people to, to start digging in and understanding more. And there's some really concrete, actionable things you can come out of on just some of these smaller interactions with you. Um, but I did want you to talk about what a content calendar is because it comes up in conversations often. And I've seen people understand it differently, and I, which means I'm not positive I understand it consistently, right, and how it's been explained. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what's, what is a content calendar? What's the value of it, and how do you use it? A content calendar is also called an editorial calendar, and magazines have been using these forever. And all it is is a written plan that covers what you're going to – it can be specific – it can be a little bit vague about what you're going to write about when it is the planning phase it's the strategic planning phase of your, your content schedule. So, you know, your, your content calendar could be, uh, let's, let's make up something. Let's say you do one, one video a week. Well, well for you, for you, Sarah, you do a podcast. So it would be, you know, on date X, podcast interview with so-and-so on, you know, a week later podcast interview with, with the next person. And it's just to help you see what is coming. And yours is a little more flexible. If, if you know, whoever's right before this episode and me episode and me got switched around, there would be little, little side effect. Uh, but if, if you're doing some more, interactive not interactive uh interlaced projects things need to be put out in a certain order maybe people need time to consume one piece before you go to the next piece and also you know this goes to process and this goes to removing friction it's one less time you have to change hats if if you are the wearer of all hats the doer of all things in your business this lets you by by using a content calendar you sit down and you make it and then you're done with the planning. Now you just have to work on the doing. How Um, far out do you plan a content calendar? Do you typically look at a year or you do it seasonally? Does is there a standard for that, Josh? There's no standard. I've seen it done quarterly. Uh, I, I've, I've done it quarterly or I've done it yearly. Depends on it depends on, on what your plan is. How far how far out is the rest of your planning? If if you're strategic planning, if you're, if your marketing plan only goes six months, you probably shouldn't go more than six months with your content calendar because they need to match your Back content to alignment. Mm-hmm. Back to alignment. Alignment is the string theory of life. Like that. That's what I've come come to come to realize. Uh, if, if there's a problem. There was just, you know, there's a butt statement in there somewhere. I mean, seriously, how many fights have I love you butt started? <laughs> I'm just thinking there's a lot of jokes I could make with that. Mm-hmm. I'm just not, not going to do it. 
I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I just wanted to check my notes real quick. What is the difference? This is something you helped us understand. And but what is the difference between a logo and a brand? There's a great Jeff Bezos quote, quote on brand. Brand is your reputation. They say your, you know, your reputation is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And the, the Bezos quote is your brand is what people say about your business when you're not in the room. Your brand is everything. It's so easy to overlook because it's, it's almost too high of level. Some, sometimes I have trouble talking, you know, like, why does this matter? I have trouble explaining it because if you've defined your brand well, it can dictate so much downstream. It can affect everything from the products you offer to the way your people answer the phone. Um, you know, if you l- listen to Made to Stick, I say listen, I, had the, I have the audio book. Uh, in Made to Stick, they talk about what there was a, a I can't remember what it is. It's a retail, retail store. Customer service was their thing. And that was a, the key to their brand was customer service. They would go start customers' cars in the wintertime. They wrapped packages that were bought at a, a different store. They did a return on um, snow chains. They don't, they've never sold snow chains ever um, because customer service was, is, is a key to their brand. So it, it, it affects everything. It's, it's the lens that everything is looked at. You used to look at everything. And it's, it, becomes, it becomes a North Star. Uh, if you make a, like a, a, do, do the, the full spiel and make like a, a brand a mission statement or a brand positioning statement, that's what everything else, everything else is judged against. That's where you, you, you put the flag in the ground, and that's what things have to align with. And without that, that, that that's also part of the problem. There's nothing to align to. So you're like, well, you too. So you're like, well, you do this and you do that, but you're always shooting from the hip or you know, going with a gut feeling, and you end up with the dreaded random acts of marketing that never, ever produces results. That was a, a great conversation the group had yesterday, and it wasn't around branding so much, but I, we ended up um, identifying it was the essence of their soul. That's how they, you know, they said, this is without these pieces – and there was like this visual art thing I had them do so they wouldn't get too analytical. And then they stab, stood back and got analytical <laughs> about it and identified, right? These are the components that if one or all of them are gone, it doesn't matter what we do because we are no longer us. Mm-hmm. We're not us, right? But And they said, is that like a value statement? I said, no, it's different. It is. And that's when they said, oh, it's the essence of our soul. These aren't just words we put up and there are values. These are up. So to your point, customer service or your example, if these guys don't show up with a willing heart, they are no longer themselves. I mean, and that was like one of their threads. They says, if that's missing, we're just not there. We're not doing who we are. And it was even just reflecting on that conversation gives me chills because it was so true. But they recognize that those pieces, regardless, that's their legacy. If they can't leave that behind, the organization will never flourish. And it doesn't matter how smart the people are. They have to own, those have to be embedded in the hearts of who the people are who come together to work on that. So to me, that when you were talking about the branding and that example, it's, 
it feels like there's some connection in there for that as well. There is. And it, it, there's such a big trickle-down effect. You know, so you, you've defined this, this vision, this brand vision, brand mission. You have to, you, you have to allow extra work. You have to bring in you know, extra people per shift to cover for the crazy things like that. So you you know you know up front and you have to to anticipate it. If you bring someone in that can't do that, they're you know they're out of alignment. The individual is out of alignment with the the business values. Um, as we're wrapping this up, what piece of advice? I want you to pretend you're talking to me as pretend I'm an executive director of a relatively young nonprofit. So um, you know I've got all my pieces in place. But we haven't been around a huge time. We don't have a huge following. We are clear on our mission, why we were formed. And our website's just one of those placeholders, right? It's like our business card. It's up there so someone could say, what's their phone number? Where's their address? And how do I get there? What piece of advice would you leave with me to help me start thinking in a way that's manageable and start down a road of being able to use this digital platform to benefit my constituents? The first thing I would say is you have to accept the fact that not all stress is avoidable. Whenever you try to do something new and exciting, there's that natural, like that drag, that psychic drag pulling you back. It causes stress. Uh, the uh, podcaster, Ira Glass, has a great quote about the taste of a beginner versus the execution of a beginner. You have this picture in your mind but you don't have the skills to execute on it. That will cause you stress. All you can do is keep at it. If you need a, a safe place, if, you, if you're afraid to work on your website because it is, you, you, you mentally require some level of professionalism on your website that you're afraid that you're, you're going to mess up, then, then create a second website or do Instagram or do something else but you have to do. And the more you do, the better you get. And that's the only place that confidence comes from. That's the only place that skill comes from. You are probably overinflating all of your expectations of the website, of yourself, and of what people think, of the standard that people are holding you to. These days, people are used to seeing crappy cell phone videos. If you're sitting on your porch, you know, with, with the selfie camera on, recording a video, sharing an important message, publish it. It's not unprofessional simply because it's unpolished. Whether it's professional or unprofessional is all about the content. Yes, there's a minimum standard. I have to be able to understand what you're saying, but it doesn't have to be sound studio quality audio with Steven Spielberg level video. Your message has to be good. Everything else is details. Everything else can come and go, come and go. Everything else you, you will get better at. I think what I love about what you just said was that the, the confidence will come with the practice because with the practice we get competence. We start feeling competent. So whether it's like, hey, no problem putting a video on Instagram or wherever, I could put that on my website. I'm, I'm getting better. And certainly I know that's been my journey. 
And that when I started this, someone says, you just got to start. You're not, mm-hmm. I can't think of one person who ever started a podcast who loved it, who wishes they couldn't just go back and redo all of them. And, but when I heard this person who was so good say that they go back and listen to their earliest ones and they kind of go, whoa, I thought, yeah, you got to start because you never get better until you do. So, you, you know, making those little tweaks to your website or setting up a shadow site, whatever, but practicing um, is a good reminder to all of putting out there, but share it. Uh, one last thought, speaking of going out and doing and, and tying back to being a scientist, Another another recommended book is Work the System, and the idea is behind the book, if you want the the Twitter version, make a checklist for everything. Whenever you have something, create a process for it. That's the only way you can measure. It's the only way you can create consistency. It's the only way you can simply and easily and quickly hand it off in the future. And that will also remove friction because you know, step one, step two, step three, open this program, open that program, open the other program. I name it like this. I, or, you know, name the file like this. I do this step. I do that. Enter text, do this, do that, do the other. You know, if a robot could do it, you'd have a robot do it. Not everything needs to be a brand new event. You know, a lot of this stuff eventually will be wrote but in the meantime, write it down. Don't make, do not let yourself figure out one thing you don't have to figure out. Don't let yourself make one decision you don't have to. That, that psychic weight kills us. We make 10,000 decisions a day over, over things that it, it, it could have been part of a process. Open up checklist, follow the checklist. That, that should be all of your decision making when it comes to a repeated process. I love it. Josh, I want to thank you for taking time to share your experience and knowledge with us today. And I know I've personally benefited not just from today, but from previous work. And the checklist checklist is something that's come to me, something I've resisted for years. And once I started doing it, oh my gosh, did my stress go down because I didn't worry about it anymore. It's on a list. It got done. The worst part is we treat, we, we, we treat checklists, we treat mental illness. I take my medicine. I feel better. I stop taking medicine. Do not like once, once you start using checklists and things are going smoothly, do not stop. That is not your sign that you're done. That's your sign to make another checklist. No, no. Now I'm loving them. And we mm-hmm. have like my business manager says, Oh, it's in our standard operates operating procedures, which I've just updated mm-hmm. because we've changed them. I'm thinking, Oh, that's so perfect. You know, and- Th- that is exactly what the book, uh, that book goes into is creating an SOP. Well, then I'll get it and continue mm-hmm. my love affair with checklists because they mm-hmm. make your life easier. So thanks, Josh, and best of everything to you. And I know we'll be in touch in the future. It was great talking with you. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.